Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Just why I went with it, just plain, simple, 
you know, sometimes simple is just the easiest and best way to go. Yeah. And plus, it's what's inside the book that's supposed to knock you out, not... <sighs> you, you know, I'm telling you something. We had talked about it, you know, brief, real briefly here, but uh, Tim Paxson um, is designed to cover that is just going to blow people's eyes out. I mean, I'm just, you know, I... I I'm just blown away with how nice it is, really. It's it is amazing. It's a beautiful cover and you know and and you know, this is my first time doing all this stuff. You know, self publishing. You know, I've been I I've wrote for Monster, Wings Chop, uh uh a bunch of online, you know, exploitation nation, retrospect, uh uh Pete Cerilia's book uh what is grindhouse purgatory i mean i've written on i've been involved in three books you know written for three books part involved and contributed to three books and you know so but this is the first time me doing this myself you know yeah. getting it downloading the the um um uh you know the framework or whatever it, I, that ain't the right word for it but anyway you know you know to where you know, I could set and I could build this book, and boy, I learned some hard lessons, and I hurt, learned them the hard way. <laughs> I'm telling you, the hard way. Well, don't forget uh, one of the is... uh, best lines from Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and that is, "There comes a time in your life where you don't, where I won't do anything without a piece of gold crossing my hand first. <laughs> And really, if you're a great, good uh, writer, and you are, you have to get to that point because there's only so much contributor copies, da-da-da, right. you can get right. before you're like, hey, why ain't I getting any of this money? They getting yeah, 10 and, cents. And you know, why it's... should I get 10 cents? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's to me, it's, you know, it's, I paid my dues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I started out and I contributed every place that I could possibly do it just, you know, to get my name out there. You know, yeah. and, and I love to do it. And, and you're right, it gets to the point where, okay, you know, do I need, you know, the book costs $6. If It ain't any more for, you know, to see my name in writing. I've I've got plenty of these sitting around here. It's, you know, what else is out there for me? You know, if this is just the way I'm going to be contributing here, there, and, you know, then I'm not necessarily sure that that's what I want to continue to do. You know what I'm saying? And I don't have, you know, like you, where, you know, my my knowledge is vast and wide, where I could do like you do a podcast or this or that. I'm just, it's not me. And I realize my, you know, my faults to a point. But I know Spaghetti Westerns, and I know what I like in Spaghetti Westerns, and I, I like a lot of them. And, and to me, it, it's the only logical way for me to go with my with this yeah. writing, you know, whatever it is. Second, you know, it's I, I work, you know, a job, I do this, I do that. But, yeah. you know, this is something that, you know, I want to do because it's, it's, it's the first thing is love. And, and the second thing would be, just enough to make you know to not pull a profit or make anything like that just to make it feasible to where it could continue on 
Those days and that's gone. my goal is uh, volumes of them, not just one, you know, volumes. And that's, you, you know, and it's it is not all encompassing. It yeah. is just kind of a random, you know, book that is randomly put together. It's just a fun read. You know, you pick it up, you, you know, and it's uh, uh, Tim Paxton's book on the VCDs of um, India. You know, if you think of that book, you know how it's kind of just, you know, you can pick it up, you can grab stuff, you can read stuff here and there, you know, to where it's not, you know, where you're going to sit and, you know, read it from the beginning to the end and it's involved and, you know, this is more, um, you know, just kind of random. And another book that kind of was the, the Tokyo Scope, which was by... Patrick Macus, I think, Macus or whatever his name was, but it's kind of another one. It's kind of was a little bit of an inspiration. Is something that you know, it's I'm great. You know, you can just pick things out, read, and it's something that you're not going to. You know, my problem when I read is, boy, if they start to get where it's hundreds of pages and I'm turning them, and I'm eventually I'm losing track and I'm losing interest. So I need things yeah. to kind of, and I, I wrote it to how I read. You know, I mean, it may sound a little selfish, but I wrote it to where, you know, I felt that, you know, myself, and I think I can speak for a lot of people out there, you know, I just like to, you know, pick a little bit here, pick a little bit there, read yeah. some, you know, meteor stuff, and then, you know, that's it. Mm-hmm. Hey, Carl, how long do you think really it takes for a book to become an encyclopedia? Well, first, before I answer that oh, question, I didn't even know Carl was here. I just, just have to it. say something here. Mike is in the house. <laughs> Carl, it is great to hear your voice. It had been way too long. Way, way How are you too doing? long. I, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank Seriously. you. You Thank finally you. fucking did it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Yes. I know. It's. You know how that is. You, you, it's that that thing where uh, I'm going to do it, and then you don't do it, or I'm going to do it, and then you start and you don't do it. This time it was finally like, you know what, I'm doing it. That's I. This if not, what do I tune to turn to, or what am I going to do? You know. Right. So, I mean, it it had to come eventually. Let's put it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to get the writer's X wax out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It, well, yeah, the um, a, the angst and all the other good crap and the anger and yeah, all the good stuff that comes with all that. People. The reason that he really started and we started doing uh, the Shaw Brothers films is the sheer fact that he would get to spend two hours a month not having to think about or deal with. Spaghetti West. Uh, you know what? That's that's a, that's a, uh, that is a truth right there. That is a oh, truth. absolutely. That's, you need to break yeah, like that. Like I asked Carl, what do you think a difference between when a book stops being a book and becomes an encyclopedia? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you know, there are those of us that like encyclopedias. I certainly right. do. Oh, right. You know, I. One of my favorites would be the Encyclopedia of uh, Science Fiction. That's gone through so many different uh, uh, editions. Uh, but the one I love is uh, 
was edited by, by a writer I love by the name of Charles Platt. But, you know, also, you mentioned Tokyoscope. That's a great book. I have that in my collection. Yeah, it and, is. And that's, and, and, yeah, it's kind of just the, the way he kind of just he gives you little bits and pieces. If he doesn't go into, you know, every film that this particular, you know, he just gives you some nuggets of stuff. Yeah, and, that's what and, I love and, about and the book. thing is, Mike, you, you, you said something I, I, I wanted to make a comment on. And, and any artist, any writer, any composer, any painter, I don't care. They paint for themselves, and they do it for their, you know, love of it. And then hopefully that's going to translate into people also loving it. So when you said, you know, you, you wrote this book like you like to read, well, that's exactly what you should have done in the first place. You know, and Carl, I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say I wasn't guilty of, you know, thinking of that encyclopedia in the back of my mind. And someday there will one come from me. But you're talking, you know, almost 600 films. So, and, so and, what you, know, you do is you start with this, and 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 then you're gonna get the bite in the ass here in about a year or so, and you'll do more, and right. you'll just compile it. Yeah. In volumes, yeah, you gotta wait. So your mind forgets all of the crappy ones. No, 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 no. If it's an encyclopedia or, you, you know what? There are crappy movies we love. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the one question I wanted to ask you, of, of you, Mike, uh, and I think we've asked this before, but for, for the audience, what was it that absolutely got you so hooked into spaghetti westerns because everyone you know likes a specific genre but you know you have to have that you know incredible passion you know misplaced or not that you dig that heavy into it so what was it that 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 switched your mind on to to uh uh, uh spaghetti westerns uh, honestly I, you know i've thought about this question a million times and to me, what what I think eventually turned me was the fact that, you know, I love Westerns. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Western, any Western. Well, you know what I'm saying. I don't love every, each and every, but I love Westerns. Now, whether it be, you know, books, uh, media, whatever, anything, you, you know, so... And I also, as I was growing up, in the, you know, and I was coming, you know, of age in the in the video era when the video started coming in the you know, in the late seventies, early eighties, and I was a horror freak. So I think that those kind of, you, you know, you take the spaghetti westerns and you push these characters, and these characters are a lot like, you know, they're a, a lot of them are amoral characters, and you place Absolutely. them into these situations where you're taking a person. You, you know, putting them into what is typically the same routine of, of a Western, mm-hmm. and you're taking a character and you're reinventing a character and placing it. In, and there's also a lot of horror tropes in, in, in Italian Westerns. And, you know, there's a lot of gunplay, violence, you know, again, some things that are, you know, horror-related to a point, and they took the horror to or the, or the, the violence to another level. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about something like A Stranger in Town, when um, Aguilera, I think that's his name, Frank Wolf, when he mows all the people down with a machine gun in front of a church, so it's you're taking something and 
it's to me it's taking the western and and, and twisting it and that's i'm oh, that really to me is what turned me on to him was just the fact that or, you know i loved exploitation i loved horror films so i think that that was you know that just kind of helped and i loved westerns and i was sick of the john wayne with the of dollars were Violante mm-hmm. uh, shoot Clint Eastwood dead in the chest. Right. Boom. And then he drops. Right. But right, then he right, gets right. right back up. Yeah. And Violante keeps shooting him. And you're less sitting there like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know. You, you know, the only, let me tell you something. The thing that drives me the craziest about that is, and it, it's it'll drive you crazy about most Italian westerns, have, not most, but a lot of them after you've seen a lot, is you have the most despicable villains that you could ever, ever come across. And uh, Ramon Rojo in that film was a nasty dude. And you know what, though? What is the chances of that dude, after shooting him three or four times in the chest and watching him come up like that, he wouldn't have put one between his eyes just to make sure he wasn't a ghostly (laughs) being? I mean, that to me drives me nuts. And you see that countless westerns. You know, I watched one the other night with Craig Hill called I Want Him Dead. It's a great, great, great film from 68. I mean, you know, he comes across these um, villains that he's trying to catch. You know, uh, uh, Jose Manuel Martin, his character Jack Blood raped um, um, Craig Hill's sister in the film and killed her. Now he tra- they tra- he tracks them down. They get to jump on him. They tie him to a chair, and they start. And, and what would most of these cold-blooded villains do? They would shoot him in the freaking head and walk out. Oh, we're going to burn you alive in here. Of course, he gets his chance to escape. But and, and it's just it's unlimited when you come to it of the things that kind of fluster you with them, but. Yeah. You know that's that's going all the way back to Clint Eastwood. So I guess it's well that goes back of, even further. No, no, I mean no, the mad scientist who yeah, who they have a name for that. Carl, is it real? Oh, hold on. Okay, okay, go ahead, Steve. It's called James Bond syndrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, James Bond was sixty. What three? Four. Yeah. yeah, so I guess it's about right about that same time frame. But, but actually, it goes back further because that happens in film more. Oh, yeah, that's true. You're right. Absolutely. You're right. And I'm a film more fanatic, so. Right. You know, right. private detectives and things like that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that happens and, all well, the time. And, and you know, um, um, A Fistful of Dollars was based on, of course, Yojimbo, but Yojimbo was based on, uh, shit. Red Harvest. That's right. That's right. So that's, you know, a a tale that, you know, so it lent to that a little bit and tied it all in Mm -hmm. there. So, yes. Whenever that comes up, I just bring up uh, Sam Fuller's, one of Sam Fuller's famous quotes, and that is, yes, the guy is the son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, to see, you know, another thing too is, you know, I love Leone, and, and without Leon, Sergio Leone, there wouldn't be, there would be an it- Italian westerns, because they had started before he had actually started. But, you know, to me, there's but but 
so much is said of him that the rest of the genre is kind of overshadowed by him. You know, you throw a little bit of Corbucci, he gets some respect, and a few other here and there. But, you know, the rest of the uh, of you think about 500 and some odd films beyond those two directors, and everybody else is it's kind of overshadowed. You, you know, and if oh, you absolutely. think about that, that's pretty significant that a lot of people made great Westerns, you know, and, and they were, you, you know, nobody knows of them because they only looked at the surface level of what Leone and, you know, now Cor, what Corbucci did. So, yeah. And, and that's kind of what this book is also is, you, you know, I'm, I don't go a lot into Leone. Of course, Corbucci to a point and, you know, more to come on both of those, but it's more of kind of celebrating and kind of, you know, some of the more obscure films, some of the films that, and some of the directors and stuff like that that people well, don't that, read exactly about That's exactly what day. you need to do. That's exactly yeah, what you need to do because, yeah, because and, and the thing is, it's always about the hidden gems. Yeah. It's always about digging and finding stuff, and for you to do a book like that and to spotlight those films that you love for various personal reasons and, and critical reasons, and to, to give that information out to the public. Well, oh, maybe I should watch this one. Oh, this looks and, and, and That's and, exactly and what it's about. Right. You, yeah. hit it right on, you hit the nail right on the head, Carl, right on it, right on it. Because, you, you know, the way I look at it, this, you know, Christopher Frayling's written countless books on Leone, and they're all fantastic. Does, do, and there's been countless authors that have written about Leone, written about him. Do we need any more? I mean, seriously, I don't know. Right. You know, yeah, I'm always because yeah, there's more, but that's not me. I don't want to no. be the guy writing about the same thing that all these other guys and you know, Christopher Frailing is is a, one of the best writers and one of the most knowledgeable men. So, you know, he's in a different stratosphere than. So, you know, why even attempt it is to a point, you know? Well, well the thing is, you, you wouldn't attempt it. Because what you've that's done is, is, is the thing that I love, and, and, and that's the hidden gems. That's the yeah. ones no one knows about. And you dig in the, in, in the sand pile and, and look at it, and there's this little glitter. Ooh, what's that? Ooh, maybe people should see this and see this. And, and, and that's what I try to do. You know, uh, you know, on ISF and everything that I do, it's all about the hidden gems. So I think this is great. Well, and, and you know, you you figure to yourself too that you know anybody. We all grew up with the Leone westerns, you know, yeah. on television countless and countless times over and over, and, and you're so embedded into your brain that a lot of people mm -hmm. don't even think, it, or else they're dismissive of anything beyond that. And even mm -hmm. the Italians, to a point, are demissive of those films because they were considered, you know, Italian popular cinema as opposed to, you know, the classical Italian cinema or whatever. So, uh, I mean, even their own country were dismissive of them. We were yeah. dismissive of them. So, you know, they had a hard road, you know, to get it any kind of respect, and they're finally only getting it now. And sadly, they're only getting it now to a point is because of Tarantino, you know, and I mean, you know, and, and, and things like that. But it, it is a genre that is ripe 
for discovery. I mean, it is ripe for discovery. I mean, look at uh, Corbucci. Only last year we got The Mercenary on a, on Blu-ray or any kind of physical Cor- format. Correct. And, and, and we've know, had uh, Companeros out as one of the first freaking right. DVDs. Yeah, Blue, un- Same Blue with Underground, Run, Man, right? Run. We've had that out forever since DVD really started. Yeah. But we yeah. didn't get the big gun down. It's prequel until maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. And, and you know, and they're finally, but, but, you know, some people are releasing them like, you know, I love Kino, but Kino gives you nothing. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want, yeah. you know, all I want is them to go over for these, you know, I don't give a freaking rat shit about commentary on film. I don't, uh, quite honestly, I don't listen to them, but I love interviews. I, I love some of the other, you know, that's what I really love is the interviews with the people. And, and you know, to me, if, you know, when you release, like, um, some of these films, you know, Kino especially, they just, they give you bare bones, which, you know, you're only paying 14 bucks for a film. But, you, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I would love to pick up some of these films with these extras on them. So, but... You know, and that, to me, that's you know, Arrow does it right. Obviously, I mean, Arrow has blown the freaking you know it out of the water this year with that Sartana uh, box set, the yeah. Kioma. Well, I would and, have to say the best spaghetti western DVD Blu-ray ever is going to be the Big Gun Down. Two tons of extras, two cuts for the movie, yeah, and the soundtrack yeah. CD. Yeah, no, I can't, I'm not gonna. I would. Have, I'm not arguing that one bit at all. But at least Arrow's, you know, doing more is what I'm yeah. saying. At oh. least they're. But but you know even even the Can grand duel. Any other company that would do a decently stacked Blu-ray and it's a great stack of Day of Anger. True, true. That is and a beautiful, beautiful print, and and uh, and I know. You know, they're not Wild East because Wild East is giving us shit that, you know, Peter Lee Lawrence twofers, you know. I mean, but even though they're they're releasing these films that, yeah, we've probably all seen them a dozen times in their classics, but at least they're giving you a ton of extras and, and they're moving forward and they're continuing to release. That's, you know, that's what I like about them, you know. But obviously Wild East is the best. You know, at least American-wise, that's all I, you know, I know there's companies over in, you know, Europe releasing them in Asia and stuff, but American-wise, Wild East is the best in my book still, and that's even well, though I... the problem with Wild East is whenever they release an A-plus title, they sell out just like that. But their yeah. B-list titles... <laughs> yeah. They're easy and to they're find probably... online. And, and they're you getting, get one of the Beatles titles, and it's going to make you think, why do they put out this crap? Uh, yeah, but I seem to me there's, uh, unless it's some of them god-awful wet, uh, comedy ones, the later comedy ones. Oh, oh the three Supermen. They need, they need <laughs> oh, to God. put that out. <laughs> Somebody put yeah, that Paul out. Yeah, um, came to me one night. Uh, Dorado. Go and ahead. he was like. Hey, I got the grand old experience. It's got the three Supermen, a spaghetti western. I'm going to watch it. And I just looked down and said, don't, 
please God, don't. Yeah. <laughs> who, who was? It was George Martin, and who the hell was the? I cannot remember. It was George Martin. No, I know that's one of them. I yeah. cannot remember who yeah. was in that damn movie. So, so Mike, I I need to go because I've got some other things going on. But I wanted to call and congratulate you, and I'll Thank be you, I'll Carl. be messaging you. But but also before I leave, I need to sing. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Mike House wrote a book. Mike House wrote a book. So go now and buy it. If you don't, you're a cook. Or there cook, you actually. go. So yeah. buy Beautiful his book. Girl. I missed you, Carl. It was great to hear from you. I really, I mean that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be messaging you. Uh, it's all been right, a little so crazy. I'll let you know what's going on, all right? Absolutely, absolutely Carl. Thank you. Okay, uh, guys, take care. Have a great rest of the show, and congrats, Mike. You too. Really, thank congrats. you. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Earlier, and the best way to describe it is Troy Howard's Mario Bava book mm-hmm. and Tim Lucas's Mario Bava book. There's two right. types of books, books you read and books you use to write books. Right. That's that's perfectly put, perfectly put. You know, and and the the thing that jumped into my head was the um, Stephen Thrower, I think that's his name. who wrote that the the, um, the Jess Franco books. And yeah. I mean, you're right. If you're writing, those are the books you use to write. But to read, I mean, they're so full of freaking just jam full of you know information and stuff that they they're not they're information overload let's put it like this over put it like that yeah so especially when yeah. you could really bust them down in the smaller books and probably be more fun like that's, uh the years that's, right. that's fun by the years right or the three subgenres which you agree with me that they are and that is uh the leones post leone years uh, the Zapata westerns and the comedies. Right, right, yeah, and and that's basically you're right. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's like I, I you, you know, you figure this. I mean, it's like they, everything was Leone to a point, and and you know, the problem with all that eventually is, is there is so many films that you use the same, and and you know, you, you know. You have to realize that a western, I mean, the directions they could take a western were limited anyways. You you know what I'm saying? It's not like there was any technology beyond, you know, you see a telephone in like two or three of the films. You know, yeah, yeah, there's the impending railroad. But, you know, you're limited. And some of the later ones show the, you know, the automobile and stuff like that. But, you, you know, you're limited to where you can take a western, yeah. But also, you, you know, the thing about it is, is like when you get to, you know, you think about Leone, I mean, A Fistful of Dollars. Django, which was made in 66, two years later, as a guy going into a town and is in the middle of two warring fractions. You, you know, and there's other similarities, obviously. He's a stranger, blah, blah, you know, and where he yeah. can But... And you can keep doing that all the way up till the end of the genre. I mean, uh, there's a film called 
If You Want to Live, Shoot, which was in 75, I believe. And, you know, yeah. the reference, and, you know, the Frank Branagh character is referencing, you know, he's talking to a, another character in the film and says, well, you know, if you help us, you can make a fistful of dollars. You know, so that's in 75. They were still, still slip, or slipping references to the film in there. And then, then there's another one in there where the guy goes, well, you can just call me Mr. Nobody. So, yeah. you, you know, it's it, it never got away from that. It just continued to, you know, like, okay. And, you know, I asked um, Ernesto Gastino about it. I never did get a response to him. But I've all, often wondered was, you know, when they sat down to write an Italian Western, did they start with certain things? Okay, we're going to have, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, we've already got this list of blah, 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 we want to include. That, that to me, is, it would be Wasn't a, he the one who did Django Kill? Um, that's just guess. I, no, I can't think of what he. No, no, I don't believe he. I don't, okay. know if he, I don't think he did. But don't forget but, the weird thing that makes Django stand out. More than anything, and that Julia Questy, I'm sorry, is what he said it in a muddy town. With all the original Django, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that was Corbucci. Yeah, Corbucci said when he got to Django, he was tired of all of the dust, all of these (laughs) dusty towns. You know, every western looked the same. It was like you went to the dusty town. With Kiyoma, they took the dust to 11. True, yeah, yeah true. And, um, and, and you know, um, a man called Blade, they kind of mixed a little bit in there, but it was a, another, you know, a, a muddy, dirty mess, too, if you remember, and, and the, yeah. a man called Blade. But, you know, that and that's another thing is so many of these films, you know, they used the same – well, a lot of them were shot outside of Madrid – you know, a lot of them were shot in Almira, and um, and then some of them eventually, you know, would be shot back in Rome or close to, you know, like 20, 30 miles outside of Rome. So, yeah. but a lot of the ones you see that were shot in Spain, kind, of, you, you know, they have that kind of dusty, dirty, airy kind of look to them. But you know, they weren't impeded by, you know, telegraph lines and and traffic and stuff like that out there. You know, at least initially. Yeah. The first but, um, Getty Western I could think of that dealt with the death of the West is probably once upon a time in the West. You, you know, there's a few scatterings of crap in, you know, here and there. You, you know, um, uh, like um, A Train for Durango introduced the car in there, and there's another Peter Lee Lawrence film, an Anthony Stefan film, which slips my mind, which, you know, kind of uh, brought the... Um, you know the car in there's a, a 65 film called Colorado Charlie that has a um uh, a a villain who's the villain of the piece is actually the lead you know his name's Colorado Char- Charlie which you, you know how he got the name nobody it's not referenced in the film but you know he talks about you know the ending of the west and you know and how him and the sheriff were going to have this you know, this legendary fight that people would sing about someday, you know, but it's, you know, in 65, he was kind of talking about, you know, the West is ending and, you know, and and, and stuff like that. So it was spoken of, but I think obviously Leone really 
you know, in 68, I mean, he put a, I mean, it was never done better and never will be done better. But I think there was, and I'm sure I'm missing some along the way here and there, but I think that was the one where, you know, essentially it told, I mean, and you got to figure uh, Peck and Paul did it the next year. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah right, so 69. Yeah, so. But that was post-death of the West because they were talking about airplanes in the wild bunch. True, true, but but it was still, but they were, when they killed, you know, the characters off at the end, essentially, they killed. That was the death of the, you know, the West. Yeah. So, but. Only one left was the real old ones, and uh, I forget his name. Not William Holden, the other one. Robert R- Ryan. Yeah. But he had quit the group. Remember, he tracked them for whoever and another, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But Yeah, he tracked them because Pike was an idiot and got him arrested. Right, right. But he felt bad but about doing it. that is one of the greatest ending lines ever in the Western. Will it be the same? It'll be what it'll be. Well, I'll mm-hmm. have to do. Right. And, and you know, that to me is, does you, you know, when that scene at the end, if the the Italian Westerns wouldn't have came along, I, I mean, you know, eventually we would have went into more violent films. But, uh, you know, I think that... Yeah. But I don't know... We have Bonnie the, the, and Clyde, but... Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the Westerns were... But but the Westerns were such an iconic thing to Americans at that time. You know, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it was all American. Yeah. You, you know, so to me... Well, and to Leone and the Italians, too. That was their idea of what America was, you know. Right, right. Watching the Westerns. Yeah, and and you know they, you know, like I've, I've, we've talked about this in past shows. To me, it was never, it's never been about, you know, that what we were showing or shown, what we, you know, what we read in books, were were not truth truth anyways. We know that now. So, yeah. you know, to me, what's the difference if? You know, an American director or or whoever was directing this film, or John Wayne, or who? What's the difference if they're lying to me to a point, or you know, George Artisan, or who you know, whoever, Aldo Sombrero, or whatever? But you know, what's the difference? And, and you know, it's here's all about question. entertainment. Let's let's face yeah, it. Yeah, here's a question I've always had, and I've never really got an answer. So I'm gonna ask you. Why the hell did they name the political westerns Zapata westerns? I guess, well, because of the who was it was he was involved in the um, uh, Mexican Revolution, correct? Yeah, I know he was, but Che Guevara was like the big revolutionary. I, I now I know there was some other films made about Zapata and stuff like that. So yeah, but I, uh, that's Violent Mexico that's never came out over. Here on DVD or Blu-ray has it. I have, I don't believe so. Yeah, that's no. the you know that's the one with Franco Nero and it's like two hundred percent political and like five percent western. <laughs> well, well, there's probably a reason for that then. And, and, and you know that was essentially the you know the um, the uh, Italians and the, it was more the Italians. With the Zapata westerns, is that was them getting, uh, you know, obviously political. 
You know, you try to avoid yeah. the political. You know, a lot of directors didn't want to get involved in the political parts of the westerns, but obviously yeah. sometimes you're going to have them. Yeah. You, you know, so and that's kind of uh, I think is a part of westerns. On the big gun down this, he said back then the Italians ate, drank, slept, shit, pissed, and screwed politics. <laughs> right, right, right. And we and had talked about that. Yeah. Uh, they pretty much considered Leone old hat after Once Upon a Time in the West because Leone didn't want to do political films. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you know, to me it's it's kind of like, you know, I'm a sucker for the, some of the Zapata Westerns. If they're done right, I am a complete and utter sucker because, you know, obviously, you know, it's about suppression and oppression and and it's about people rising above, you know, to, to feed us, you know, a uh, somebody that's suppressing them. But you know, to me, but I can only take them, you know, so often. You know, it's yeah. not like I could fill my day watching Zapata westerns, you know. And, and well, you know, the best ones are really grim outside of the few, the few that Thomas Milan did, uh, let's see, mm-hmm. Run, Man, Run, The Big Gun Down, Company Arrows, and The Mercenary. Right. And now, you have if you the, want um, a real dark, nasty one, get a bullet for Sandoval. That is a dirt. You're right. That is a nasty one. You're right. Yeah, that that is a fact. And and, it, and A Bullet for the General is a beautiful film, you know, and it's got a great yeah. ending to it, you know, and it's in um, A Man, a, a Cold. A man in a cult with uh, Robert Hundar is another good one. A bandit called um, A Bandit Malpello, which had Eduardo Fajardo in the lead, and it's a very, very good film. It's late in the in the game from '71, but it's it's a lot of talking and stuff like that, you know. And, and you would even, to me, it was always what kind of used to, you know, piss me off a little bit about some of these films was, you know, was some of the characters they would use, they would always, if you remembered, like some of the characters, like the um, the Mexican character, you know, the one who yeah. eventually, be, you know, he's, it's like in um, Gatlin Gun, which is a damn, do- damn hot day of fire in Dallas or some shit like that, mm-hmm. damn hot day of fire. And it's Robert Woods and uh, John Ireland, I think it's 68. And, and you know, John Ireland plays the Mexican in it, and he's so uncouth, you know, he sits around, you know, with his shoes off, scratching his feet, and, you know, he's oversexed, you know, they kind of just would take some of these, and they would become, it's like they took a lot of the Mexican characters, if they weren't suppressed, they would try to, um, you know, make them uncouth, you know, or, you know, like in the band, abandoned, the band at Malpella, you know, he's, that way, and eventually, you know, he sees what's going on with his fellow countrymen, and decides, you know, it's I got to do something. And um, yeah. pray yeah. and dig your day, pray and dig your grave. Another Zapata western, you know, it's it's the Robert Woods characters, but he's trying to get out of the oppression, so he leaves his family, and then he has to go back to help save his, you know, the rest of his family and his village. Yeah. But you know, they, they would just take people and and, and stereotype type them to a point, you know. Well, most Mexicans and spaghetti westerns come from either, the uncouth one comes from uh, Duck, You Sucker. 
Right. Well, that's yeah. No, that was yeah. That no, that there had ones prior. There was a lot of them prior to that. If you think about and, a lot uh, of the first, Fernando Sanchez films, uh, the ones. Uko. Yeah, true. Very true. And the um, um, Thomas Malone, you know, in um, Big Gun Down, and you know, and but um, yeah, ignorant you know, polar trot. Yeah, even even like in Sonny and Jed, I think that's what Thomas Milan was trying to be, but it's it's hard to say, and that's almost uh, that's Corbucci almost, you know, he tried to make that into kind of a, like he must he was politically charged through the last so many of his films, and yeah, and, and you know, Sonny and Jed, we were like. Get Tilly Savelle out of that damn pimp coat. God damn, get him out of that damn coat. <laughs> that is so off of the wall and out of it. That's just man, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he is crazy, and, and and you know he plays another kind of off the wall dude in um uh, a reason to live, a reason reason to die, a reason to live, or uh, massacre at Fort Holman. Hollerman, yeah. He, he plays another. <laughs> Oddball, oddball as character, same type of weird, you know. I mean, I love the dude, and you know, as an actor, but man, sometimes. That's and, and, you know, he was I a have dude. a weird question about. And uh, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, they had Rick Dalton go over to do his spaghetti westerns in 1969. Mm-hmm. That would. That trend was pretty much over by then, wasn't it? They were st- they were sixty nine, sixty eight was the the glut. Sixty nine yeah. was the production was still there, and then seventy it faltered heavily. Late seventy, early seventy one, Trinity was released, and then it kind of rebounded for a couple years. Sixty-nine, yeah, there was they were they were still getting Americans over there if they could, yeah. Um, and, and did uh, what's his name? We did the sci-fi films. Uh, who? Uh, Margariti. I don't remember Margariti mm-hmm. ever directing any spaghetti westerns. Oh damn, he did one. Uh, you got me here on that. I know he at least did. Oh, damn, did he do? And you got me here. I, I know he did. Yeah, that's I me myself. I was, I was sitting there, there like, it was cool seeing a poster. I'm like, Margariti, uh, 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 I thought he only did the science fiction stuff. He, no, he did. I know he did at least. Man, I'm trying to think now. I'm kind of. I know he did a couple. I know at least yeah. one, but. I, I off the top of my head, I cannot remember what the hell it was. Um, yeah. Ah, damn. Um. Uh, yeah. But what broke my oh, heart? Oh, he did. Is, he did. What? Uh, I think he did some crap because uh, I I know. Oh, I'm trying to remember now. I I think there was he did a film called Dynamite Joe, which was. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was. You would say. Oh, it was, never mind. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because they was, got it was a, um, on the time in Hollywood soundtrack. Uh huh. They have the theme song to Dynamite Joe. And, and you know something? It's uh, you, you know that film, and it's Rick Van Nutter who played. Uh, uh, he played two Bond movies. 
he was yeah. Felix somebody or another. If it, oh, Felix. <laughs> if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. And um, and and you know what? It's it doesn't get very good re- reviews, but it's a it's a damn good film. And you know he he also did in the God said and God said to Cain. Yeah. So yeah, he did a and, and vengeance. So with uh, Richard Harrison. Yeah. So he did a couple. And um, but what breaks and, my heart is that of all the Italian directors I love. Mario Bava did the two of the worst, worst spaghetti westerns out there. I can't make it through Roy Colt. That, that is bad. Now I'm, I'm I I would have to say that that you know the other ones, uh, the uh, Savage Gringo and the Road to Fort Alamo, I can uh, watch them, but you're right that. Roy Cold is just god awful. I and that's have no the one idea. the Anchor Bay put in their Mario Bava box set. Ooh, just that, bad. Roy Cold and Winchester Jack. Right, yeah. And that's with Charles Southwood. Yeah. And I can't I can't remember who else was in there, but I know it was Charles that Southwood. That was so bad I tried to take it to McKay's and trade it two or three times, and they were like, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's um, recycling bin stuff there. No, it's 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 awful. You, you know, it's awful. And and you know, it was the same thing again. What was that? Probably early seventies, late maybe yeah. seventy seventy one. And yeah, you know, this, the 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 uh, genre was struggling, and they were doing anything they could. But yeah, that's I I'm not even sure what he was angling for in that whole film. Honestly, it's bad. Well, if you but, remember, the problem, a big problem with the Spaghetti Westerns, and bless you for having to deal with it, is the repetition. Like, yeah, and that's what I was saying about the... you just did a book on uh, Ringo, uh, Sartana, right. uh, Django. Django, yes. That would be yeah. a book by itself. <laughs> Hell yeah, it would. Django would be a book by itself. You, you know, and it's and, and you get some of these awful titles like Django Kills Slo- Softly, uh, Django the Honorable Honorable Killer. You, you know, just <laughs> crap. They were, you, you know, they were just. It's like, what is the fucking point to some of these? But you know, to me, I think that like Django became so synonymous with you know spaghetti westerns in like Germany and places like that that. You know that was just automatically attached to it, and they said, "Okay, well that's yeah. a western." You know. Oh, well, you remember that story that Franco Nero told about how he went over to Germany to uh, promote something, and he seen that the movie uh, report to the commissioner that no, he did. You know. Yeah. He did. The police right. was mm-hmm. called Django the Cop. <laughs> And I've seen, isn't that, um, I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember what the title is, but I I remember the one he did called Shark Hunter, I believe it was called. Yeah. He, he, and it's retitled Django something or another, because I've seen a poster Django pop up. Django Shark on, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> I've got yeah. that print on uh, the Grindhouse Experience set. 
<laughs> and you know what gets me is, you know, I mean, just it's kind of the subject, but it's kind enough. Is that is that is Django two, you know, the official Django from '87, and um, and in the most of the boxes showed. You know, Franco Nero beefed up like a, a Sylvester Stallone or something on yeah, it. Yeah, that's because like, it was a Rambo ripoff. Yeah, and it, it was another badly filmed. You, you know, and it almost makes you wonder. You know, like '87. You know, the you know what was it? it had been dead for ten or eleven years, and it almost makes you wonder if you know if if that would if they would have tried to make a classical, just another western, what would have happened? You know, I know in '84 they had done some in '83, some with um, Aldo Sambrell, a couple of them, which I can't remember what the names are. Uh, I think um, in '84. Kiyomo uh, was another one that gave it a last spark. True, true, and it's the best out of the last. You know, the five or six that are considered the best out of that. You know, um, California yeah, Silver Saddle, Kiyoma, uh, Menagerie, Man Called Blade. Right. Yeah, Silver Saddle, California, and yeah, yeah. that's the best out of those last ones. And you know, it's that's a fascinating. Like I said, with that Arrow release, you know, there's, you know, I'd known a lot of the information, and there's a lot of information on there too. George the Big Ape is Eastman's on it, and he's as angry and surly as ever. And but um, you know, from what I've been, you know, I've read that you know they filmed it, and it was. You know, they they wrote the script as they went, you know, on that film. So you know, sometimes <laughs> that works. Sometimes it turns into Bad Man River. So Bad Man's River yeah. with uh And with sometimes Kiyomo's biggest mistake is they forget the whole subplot that one of the five bad guys is supposed to be Kiyomo's brother. Is that, I don't remember that. Maybe I didn't pay attention to it. I know the three yeah. are his stepbrothers. Yeah, and one of them is his real brother. Oh, see, but I his didn't father know wouldn't tell him because he didn't want to kill his real brother, so he's trying to keep him from killing his stepbrothers. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even totally got see, past that's me how too. Much they forgot that subplot. Yeah. See, I wouldn't even. I, I paid no attention, to, honestly, to that because I was. You know, it's it's such a beautiful film, and it's you know to me that there's times of it that struggle a little bit now, you know. But soundtrack. <laughs> I love the soundtrack, but there's just some times where it just gets a little slow, and but yeah. no, I, I didn't even know that. And, it, and and the one dude, one of his brothers looks like the dude to play Robert Reed to play Mike. Brady on um, Brady Bunch, so yeah. that kind of throws me for a loop a little bit here and there. And but, but yeah, really, the spaghetti westerns were the genre, were the generation split between the fathers who are like the fifties, the sixties, the John Wayne, the olders, and things like that, yeah. and the younger generation. <clears throat> the, the thing that got me about you know, the American Westerns was, you know, they just always would ride off, come out for these rides, and they'd always be clean. You know, it was the, the spaghetti Westerns that put a little grit and grime and dirt on them, and, you know, they 
it's probably more realistic than what we were seeing, you know, John Wayne riding in after a long ride and his, you know, his uh, suit still blue as can be or might have a little bit of dust, you know. I mean, yeah. of course, it was taken to, you know, the highest or to uh, from uh, number 11 on freaking turn it all the way up to number 11 on um, Trinity, you know, when he walks in after that walk or ride, let's say, across the desert, and he stops in to eat, yeah. eat the beans, and he's got, like, layers and layers and layers of dirt on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, and after he eats that whole thing of beans, he's like, well, them beans weren't much good anyways. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Trinity was the only, the first two Trinity films are really the only two of Terrence Hill's that I can still stunt. No, I love Man of the East because it has the perfect ending for one of those Death of the West. You know how at the end of them, they mm-hmm. have them always ride off like, we're going now and we'll keep riding to civilization. Right. And then three minutes later, it shows them rolling up to the California Ocean. <laughs> And then you hear the train behind them, and they go, well, son of a bitch. I guess we're going back home then. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, I like, i seen My Name is Nobody at the theaters. I kind of sort of like it still, but would I watch it? Probably, again, probably not. You know, and, and I... That's a Leone's sentimental film. Yeah, and Viva Django with Terrence Hill is, it's it's kind of rough. It's not bad. You you and, you can't accept Terrence Hill's the psycho killer that he is. I can't yeah, be with Django. And, and, and Boot Hill. It's again. It's the same thing Boot again. Boot Hill. Django the you bastard. Know. Yeah, you know the probably the best one that he was in was the one with George or Frank Wolf. Uh, God forgives, but I don't. I think it was called. But yeah, which That's you know you know actually I think it's an God. Okay, movie but that title. Yeah, and, and you know something, with, what, what's odd about that film was that's the first film where he teamed up with um, Bud Spencer. Yeah. And there was a dude named Peter Martell who was, you know, he was a lead and then also played some character roles in not only spaghetti westerns but also in Italian and Spanish film. But he was yeah. supposed to appear in that film alongside... Bud Spencer, but he had gotten into a fight with his girlfriend and kicked something and broke his foot. So <laughs> they had at the last minute they had to get Terrence Hill, and that's how Terrence Hill became, you know, hooked up with Bud Spencer. So yeah. the thing but, um, is, is that Terrence Hill looked like uh, Franco Nero. True, true, very but true. But by then, Franco Nero was pretty much out. And, uh, and, uh, what's his name? Uh, Run Man Run? Lee Van Cleef? No, the big, no, uh, uh, Thomas Milan. Right, right. Yeah, he was the flavor of the moment. True, true. And and the the, the story goes that on top. Yeah, and, 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 you know, the story goes on Compañeros that, you know, Nero got mad because, you know, he thought Corbucci was favoring Milan. But 
you know, probably in retrospect, Corbucci probably did that just to keep, because, uh, you know, Milan had a, um, you know, he was known for, you know, being a, a problem on the set. So it could have been just him trying to, you know what I'm saying, work around well, that problem. Think, but, uh, at that time, uh, Milan was a bigger rock star than the Beatles over in Italy. Yeah, he was in, yeah, he even sang, and had, I don't know if he sang, but he was in a band and, yeah, yeah, he was he pretty sang. big there. He had a top uh, top ten hit with uh, the Run Man Run theme. Mm, right. And, there, and yeah. that theme always just keep one of those themes just make you bounce theme. Right. Right. You're going to have to do a separate book on that, too, on your best scores. Yeah, you know, I put something in the back of it that that's, something's eventually coming. But, you know, yeah. it's, you, you know, the... A lot of it, like as you go later into the um, spaghetti westerns, a lot of it is is trying to find out where this where it came from. You know, a lot of I, yeah. what film was it? A Drummer of Vengeance with Ty Harden, and it is the cheapest freaking film you'd ever see in your life. But it has yeah. this wonderful score in it, and it's by Eno Morricone. But they had taken it from um, the Hellbenders. So and there's lots of films like that where they steal, you know, um, a couple a Jeff Cameron film, uh, which I can't think maybe Paid in Blood or one of them is they stole the score from Blackjack. Um, well, which actually, Corey, I think wrote that. What they would did, and I only know this because of Hell's a Living Dead. Yes, I know a fact because Hell's a Living Dead is that a lot of the studios. <laughs> Would take like uh, Morricone would do fifty minutes of music, but the main soundtrack would only use thirty minutes. Mm, they recycle so a little the bit of it out of there. So the would take that twenty minutes of unused music and sell it behind the artist's back. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt and it. And Gotham was the first band to really go, uh-uh. No, you ain't going to do it. Right. They took uh, 20 minutes of the unused score from Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. and put it on that film. Right. Yeah, it's, um, well, it, it, the thing with all that over there is everybody was borrowing and using and, so, you know, I think to a point, you know, you know, that's just the way the, you know, Italian cinema was. You yeah. know, they and it was they were trying to get by as cheap as possible. You know, that's why you had all these all these, you know, co-production deals to try to save money, you know, with as many investors as you could. But you know, they were just trying to turn a profit and move on to the next piece of work, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. once in a while something would hit and it would hit big, but you know, then you're back to the same thing again. How many is it going to get you to where you're, yeah. you know. They would and they go were just churning. and run a trend into the ground, and then they'd move on to the next trend. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did. For them to be able to, you know, to to make that last from um, 63 to, well, you know, you can say 61 was officially with um, Savage Guns, but, you know, yeah. all the way up. 78 is, is pretty amazing, and I know it was pretty much just hit and miss after 74, 75 range. 
But yeah, well, you know, well, it's pretty, it's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's good. Have moved over to the Polizias or the action True. genres once True. the French connection and the Godfather had hit. Right, right. True, very true. <clears throat> and then, you know, eventually they went through a little where they were doing the horror films, you know, aping all the horror films in the Exorcist, 70s. Rip off, uh, <coughs> cycle, right. uh, and then there a was little bit the of Jaws. The not as much as the others. And right. then you went into the Star Wars ripoff. <laughs> true, true. You had some Jaws then in there. Went and to then the you had Star films. Wars. Yeah, yeah. That's a that genre. Um, if you're into Italian exploitation and you really don't know much, look up the Nam exploitation years. There's some mm-hmm. amazing, freaky, insane action films right. that are still buried under the dirt. Yeah, yeah, and you know that. You know, to to us, it's you know, to, you know, to me now. When I watch these Italian Western comedies, I mean the majority of them, I don't think they're funny. You know, Italian but, humor don't translate well unless it's got Edward Sex, Edward Frank being naked in them. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. The and she was in comedy, a lot of them. You're right. Translated great over here. Because at least yeah, they got nudity. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't, uh, and that's what, what a lot of it has to do is. Is I think by then they weren't probably looking. I, I'm sure. Well, with Trinity, you know, the first two, the two Trinity films, you, you know, that opened up things. But you know, they were never going to take a lot of that comedy because, you know, to, to me, and this may sound stupid, but to me, you know, which I think that was Ennio Barboni, who, who directed those. I mean, he made two Sergio Leone type of films. That's how big they were, and they cast that big shadow over the top of all the films coming afterwards. Oh, and to yeah. me, I, I think both of the Trinity films, comedy-wise, and I'm not a big comedy guy, are near masterpieces. I mean, yeah. uh, I think that they were so big, and, you know, they cast such a big shadow that, you know, and they don't get a lot of respect. To a point, they get a lot of, uh, well, because you know, they uh, never had a good release over here. The only right. real release I've seen in the Trinity films are crappy PD sets. I remember True. Wild East was going to do a Trinity set once, but they couldn't find the good materials. Yeah, so that could that could have a lot to do with it. So, which yeah. you would think that you would think that that would you know that that would be as big as it was. You know, in as many places it played, but but you know what I'm telling you, there's that shit'll if it's out, it'll eventually surface. Yeah, you know, cause I, well, it's I know like three Superman films. If you don't mm-hmm. find little old ladies or three guys in Superman suit playing soccer in high <laughs> speed film funny, right? True, true. <laughs> and, and you know, you got to figure, you know the. Uh, there was a film in '62 called "The Terrible Sheriff," and yeah. it, and it was it was a comedy film, and, and you know something, it was a film, you know, that kind of actually started more so, you know, that started the Italian Western, Spanish Western film craze to a point because it was successful. 
So yeah. obviously once they seen that was successful, they went on to another one. They did another one called The Twins something with the same two lead characters who I, I will never remember their names. But, you know, but, you know, the point, the, the, the comedies kind of did give it a little bit of life to the the genre to begin with, and it also yeah. kind of killed the genre at the beginning. But it was yeah, dying. that anyway. always happens when you get to the comic phase. Two yeah. good comedies that really aren't talked about much, and their Eli Wallet films are Aces High and Don't Turn the Other Cheek. Right, right. Well, and yeah, I agree. And and like I said, I'm not a, a fan. And there's a few other ones I would, you know, I would throw out there. Train for Durango is really, really. I mean, it's not really, really. I mean, it's a good comedy film. Yeah. But then you get some of the ones like the, the an animal called Man and. Uh, my name is Amen, I think, or my name is still Amen, or something. And they're just, just they're terrible, you know. Well, you got a lot of my name is once Trinity and nobody <laughs> hit. Yeah, that's a fact. My name is. You're right. So, but there's a lot of that out there. But it's, you know, it's, it's so many of these films, you, you know, and. And, and I have to admit, when I uh, when I started out watching these films, it was all, you know, give me anything after '66, because I knew then, you know, with the Django influence and stuff like that, and then the nihilism and the violence that was being ratcheted up, that was my, you know, I loved that, and that was my years, you know, I'm like '66 to '70, were, you know, to me the tops, you know, the years of the spaghetti western genre, but. You know, then I've missed, then there's a lot of good early 60s films. And as I've gotten older, and I've kind of came back again to where I love, you know, Hollywood westerns, uh, I'm, you know, I can enjoy a lot of the early, you know, the 63, 64, and the 65 Bud westerns also. What was that? Bud Botliker. Right. So, uh, his stuff yeah. with Jimmy Stewart. God, those. Right. I agree. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and I think as you know, my thing with it is, is you know, I'm terrible. I'm criminally obsessed with the shit. So, it's yeah. you know, I'm making times where I'm going around these films again and again and again and again, and it's, but you know, obviously there's something that in them to where I can feel that I can continue. To get something new out of them each and every time, you know, the first yeah. time you watch a film, you know, when you're younger, you watch it just for the entertainment value. You might pick it up yeah. again years later, again and watch it again, but eventually it gets to the point where you know you're going to write about it, and then you got to start making notes in it and stuff like that, and it changes the film a lot in your mind there too. If yeah. you know, I know you write about film, and if somebody's never sat and write wrote about a film. It changes the viewing experience a hundred percent. Yeah. You know because it's no longer you know if you get bored I'm going to fast forward it or this you're listening to every freaking word you're trying to put things together you're trying to maybe yeah. pick a quote up here or there and, and and it changes them I mean it either makes a film great in your eye or not great makes a film better in your eyes or it makes a film worse. But it's you know well you know. I started writing about movies and stuff on the net back in the OOs. 
I was having to champion films like The Great Silence, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. I don't have, and Pat Garrett and the Billy Kid. I don't have to do that anymore. It's weird seeing that they've gotten to the place where they deserve. And, and, and you know, that's, to me, what you just said there is, is perfect because, you know what, to me, the things that I'm writing about now, the films that I'm kind of picking and choosing for these books are films that, you know, that are are not everyday films. You, you know what I'm saying? It's films that that people, yeah, the, the hardcore people know about and a lot of the people who kind of know the genre know about, but there's also a lot of stuff in there that they don't know, you know, that, that the you know, average viewer who's trying to expand the horizons or read about the Italian westerns, they're going to grab a lot out of that. And I think to me that's that's important is to try to get as many of these films out. And, and you know, the way I look at it is there's films on there like um, Pray to God and Dig Your Grave, which is um, Robert Woods. I honestly don't think it's ever had a release. You know, there's some, be, you know, some boots floating around here or there, but, you, you know, and there might be one on YouTube or there might be one on Amazon. I'm not really sure, but you know something? What did we do back in the old days? If you wanted well, you to see it, you don't know how hard it was getting the hardcore fans to try out the Kino Lorber Death Rides a Horse. Right, right. Yeah. That's because yeah, the, so it, that, the first two minutes, or this is three. I think it's probably three. Are so. Ugly in every print before this remaster that it's unwatchable. <laughs> it is, and I've I've often said that it was almost like they put a garbage bag over it and filmed it. You know, you could hear the yeah. stuff, but it was it was so dark. You know, and then they put in that fake bit of lightning in there, and it's just like that is one of the most generic openings ever made for such a great film. But you're right. Eventually, with and I do on the Kino said it's you know or the kino release <coughs> but yeah you're right there it's when i seen the mgm on mgm there and i watched that mm-hmm. first five minutes i'm like holy shit i'm watching a completely different movie and there's <laughs> nothing missing the first time i could just it, see it now and, and you know that's weird because i was watching a movie the other night called death call death played the flute from 72 which yeah Starred a guy named Michael Forrest, who was kind of—he was a, an American actor. He was in a lot of crap, but kind of just yeah. a character actor. But it's—they—they they steal that whole beginning scene. They put a little bit, of, add a little bit of nudity to it because it's '72, I think. Or, but yeah. you know, that's what we were talking about with the repetitiousness. You know, you know, they left whole scenes. I mean, you know, I, the movie um, "Kill the Wicked." I think it's Kill the Wicked. No, it's, um, shit, I can't remember. Killer, Kill the Wicked, I believe. I'm, I'm probably getting these confused. And my mind was lifted. And you, the, the plot was basically used in a film called Matalo. And nobody even got credit. The guy who wrote the original one didn't even get credit. Another guy yeah. gets credit for it. And, um, uh, A Stranger in Paso Bravo. And, um, and God said to Cain. I mean, are basically the same film. You know, there's a lot taken from each film. So, 
and you know, I, if another person releases the Sabat the Sabata films <laughs> over in the U.S. and they include fucking Indio Black in them, uh, I will write a letter cursing them out until they reissue the damn thing with the two actual Sabata films. <laughs> and I read that, and but I now I did read that. Um. What's his name? Um, Lee Van Cleef was offered that part, that Indigo Black part, uh-huh. but he turned it down. Now, that's what I've read. So I don't know if that was a different script, if there was another script involved, or whatever. But I don't, you know, I don't know why it would be called Indigo Black with him in it. It's just it. It's a great film. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And another guy who, yeah, it's his Yul Brenner. Yeah, he's excellent in that film. And he could have had a nice little career playing that type of characters in them films. But Yeah. You know, but you know, I agree. I've got three that's out, but no one really knows of as much are uh, now the ones I champion are Day of Anger, uh, The Mercenary, and Death Rides a Horse. And number four would be The Hellbenders. Yeah, The Hellbenders is a great movie. And, um... Uh, I think Kino, uh, yeah, Kino's releasing it in twenty twenty Blu-ray, and then they're, yeah, and they're also releasing the Specialist by Corbucci. Yeah, the Hellbenders yeah. is a film that, it, and you know, it's had an absolute crap ton of VHS releases. I, I and I, I know it's probably been on some budget disc and crap like that. I know, uh, I think Anchor Bay yeah. released a DVD of it a few years ago. But it, yeah, it's and a that goes for uh, decent money because it has the alternate ending to the Hellbenders. He was all about that damn alternate ending crap, wasn't he? <laughs> well, no, it just goes on about a few more seconds after they find that they have the wrong coffin and the skeleton. Mm-hmm. It just shows uh, Joseph C. Scott and the other guy laughing their ass off as they're dying. Oh, okay. You know. No, Joseph. Yeah, Joseph Cotton. Yeah, but yeah, yeah no, that. Yeah. It's a great film. I mean, and it's it's pure Corbucci, and it's it's a lot deeper than you know. I mean, it's it it's a nice story. It builds a nice story, and and you know, yeah, and it, and it's for some reason it's not an acknowledged classic of the genre, which it should be. You know, he did do, yeah, Corbucci did do some crap. He did, you know, his first one, which it's debatable what he was actually involved in, how much he was involved in Massacre at Grand Canyon. A lot, some people say none. Some people, people said he came in and finished. I, well, I don't know. It's one of those, the more control he had over the movies, the better they got. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and you know, uh, if you look I'm at a film like. a decent film. Yeah. Yeah, but you and, can and tell if you, that him and Burt Reynolds were fighting the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah, and and you know another film that he was just a hired gun on was Johnny Yuma, and it's a film that, you know what, it's with Mark Damon, and Mark Damon is not a good actor in my book, but you know you can tell he didn't have, he wasn't in control of it. Let's just put it like that. I would say pretty much yeah. everything was laid out for him because there's some long, boring stretches of. You know, a, a rider upon a horse, Mark Damon back and yeah. forth and back and forth, and I mean, you could yeah. definitely What's tell the one he was. With, uh, Cameron Mitchell. No, that's uh, Minnesota Clay. 
Yeah, no, Minnesota I love Minnesota. Played. I the love Minnesota. The thing with that play. is that uh, was afraid because he's a Hollywood actor, he was going to give him the same crap that Burt Reynolds did. No, that no. Um, Minnesota Clay was before Burt Reynolds. Before Minnesota Clay oh. was '64. Well, you know the interesting. You know, uh, the interesting thing about Minnesota Clay was Minnesota Clay was in was in design. And now Minnesota Clay and A Fistful of Dollars have a lot of similarities. Yeah. And and um, you know they a guy walks into a town, you know, two warring fractions again, and a Mexican and and, and Americans. And um, you know the the um, anti-hero, but it, you know it, Cameron Mitchell was more just a straight-out hero in the film. But um, and then he was obviously quick and an expert with the gun and, and stuff like that. But he was losing his sight. And um, but the thing with it is Minnesota Clay was actually in design stage before a fistful of dollars, and eventually. They decided that they weren't going to do Minnesota Clay, and then they moved on to another film, which mm. or they did they just didn't do it at that time. Eventually, it came about, but and then whoever was, I think Carlos Simeon was working on Minnesota Clay designing it or whatever, and they drew back, and then he went to do A Fistful of Dollars. So, but you know, well, Fistful Cameron of Dollars Mitchell was decided to be in that film. Yeah. Well, from what I've read, that he was to the crap that he was getting in America at the time. Well, well, they said that the reason he did that was because he was, you know, had a lot of issues. I think he was he gambled, and I think he also he had some alimony issues and child support issues, and I think he was just taking whatever he could to pay bills. But you're yeah. right. Eventually, man, he he appeared in some absolute and utter garbage for such a great actor too. Yeah. I mean, he was in some shit in the 70s and 80s. God, yeah. <laughs> he got to be Especially like John Carradine. When, uh, the drink overtook him. That's a fact, too. That's a, that's probably more so than anything else, you know. Well, you see you know. how God of his is uh, terror on tape. Continental Video yeah. did like a right. sampler tape. Right. Of their gore right. thing. Except that they spent the money to have a real intro, and the thing was like the bumpers were all Cameron Mitchell, uh, Michelle Bauer, and a couple of other decent movie stars. Yeah, and it's actually fun. Tear in the tape. Now I actually. I think if no, I put it away somewhere. But I actually have that on VHS somewhere, believe it or not. But I couldn't yeah. find it right now for the life of me. But but yeah, I love that film. You know, I was all about that dude. I like to see crap like that back in the old days. You know what I'm saying? I was a huge yeah. Cameron Mitchell fan, and of course Mitch, Michelle Bauer. And um, but I liked to, you know I used to watch, love to watch the, you know where they would show you little. You know previews or excerpts of films, so you could say, "Yeah, I might want to check that film out." You know. So, and but what are spaghetti's that I want to see badly, but I've never been able to track down a copy? Or every time I see it in a in a bootleg catalog, they always say it's an incomplete print of a town called Hell. Like somebody, um, Kino just released that, I believe, and it's it's supposed to be. Re- I don't know. Shit. 
I thought Keno just released it, but I could oh. be wrong. Now I think. Well, right, because they're cheap and. Well, that's one of the ones I've been wanting to see because the trailer looks batshit insane. Yeah, no, I've actually, as we speak, I've got it right here. It's Keno, and it's it's 97 minutes. Now, Keno's not always going to, you know, they released a, um, a minute to pray, a second to die, and it was cut. So I can't yeah, absolutely tell you. Yeah, that's the only one I think that's available over here. I know Region 2 and 3 have uh, the massacre at Fort Hollerman print. Okay. Uh, a town called Hell is. Version. Yeah, I don't. I, I. I'm not really sure how long. A town called Hell is, honestly. Yeah. But wait Let until you've got can... an uncut print of a minute to pray, a second to die. Is it actually has the scene in it where the final guy they tried to get to go with them on that fort actually just says, "Hang me," and then boom. <laughs> He drops. <laughs> Let me see here. It's uh, say this. <laughs> IMDb says it's um, a town called Hell is ninety-five minutes, and then so something's obviously wrong there. <laughs> well, and, and you know, IMDb is not always correct either. So, but yeah, Kino well, says yeah, ninety-seven. You know the teacher character and a minute to pray, second or die. He just vanishes from the freaking movie. No, no, no. A minute to pray, a second to die is with Alex Cord. I think you're talking yeah. about you know, oh. a reason to live, a reason a to reason, die. Reason, real reason to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. But has that teacher character who just vanishes from the movie in the shortcut? Right. <laughs> that was that was a that was a Valari wasn't Valari or whatever. Yeah, I think it was. I cannot yeah. remember. Yeah. That's the one with, uh, what's his name, who played uh, uh, James Coburn and... Yeah, uh, James Coburn, Telly Savalas. and Telly yep. Savalas. Yeah. What, what was just say this? If you see a Spaghetti Western in your newbie and it says Telly Savalas in it, <laughs> get it, watch it. <laughs> yeah. he was just... Well, any Italian film of Telly Savalas, he's just having a fucking blast. He is. He is. It's pretty much why he's my favorite devil all the time, because of him and Lisa and the devil. Yeah, you know, and that's, I like to hear, right, he makes that film. That's, yeah. That's, that's Joseph Cotton, right? That's Joseph Cotton, or I got a wrong film there. No, that ain't no. Joseph Cotton, is it? Okay. It's, uh, what's his name who played Morton? Oh, a Gabe, Gabrielle Frazzini or some crap like yeah. that. Yeah, I, yeah, I know and, what you're talking uh, about. I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of Baron Blood. Yeah. God. Yeah. But Lisa and the Devil was just a blast. And Elkie Summer, I mean, right? Just yeah. hearing him complain. <laughs> the ritual must be completed. It must be done good. Uh, everything must be perfect. They say. More work, I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. It was. It was great. And you know, he's kind of one of them actors that. You know what was he? He was in Dirty Dozen, right? Yeah. And and you know he was just kind of that workman type actor, and all of a sudden he just you know he blew up, man. 
That's yeah, awesome. There's though. only you know that one he... really big flaw in uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I almost cried out bullshit in the theaters. And it was like in 1969, right? And it said, oh, I got you a job working with Sergio Cabucci. He's considered one of the best makers of spaghetti westerns. Phew. And I'm like, in 68, 69? No. In uh, 2002, 2003? Hell yeah. You know the old Burt Reynolds thing, I got the wrong... Sergio. Yeah, I got the wrong fucking Sergio. <laughs> you know, and even um, even when even when Colburn and Steiger went over there for um, a fistful of dynamite, you know, they they insisted that Leone had to direct them. But uh, that was Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, you know, I I don't think that you know, Campaneros might have been huge, Mercenary might have been decent, but no, I don't think he was considered. And we let's didn't face, even you know. get uh, Django until about '72, and even right. then, it was only on a 42nd Street. And and you know, you got to figure too that these these films there were people talking about how good these fucking films were. <laughs> I mean, everybody was just no. they were ripping the fuck out of them. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It was all the critics back in the day weren't saying, well, you know what that. That, you know, blah 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 about this. I mean, they all. If you had looked at some of them early ass um, film guides and stuff like that, and then read some of these, you know, some of the old um, online um, reviews of them films and stuff like that, they just, you know, they ripped the shit out of the films. They were critically lambasted. So, yeah, yeah I, I find that hard to believe, but you know, you know how that is, and, and it's an imaginary world he's making up. You know, on um, Tarantino, yeah. so I guess essentially he can do what he wants to, because that's what he does, anyways. I mean, fuck, he killed Hitler in the first one, and yeah, Inglorious Bastards. But it is a great movie, and I do love someone giving Corbucci love. But sadly, sure, yeah, when Tango yeah. first hit DVD and VHS from Anchor Bay, mm-hmm. no one bought it. Well, uh, I did. I was one. Yeah, of the, <laughs> the hardest of the hardcore bought it, but right. the masses, not until Django Unchained, and then they were like, "They're ripping off Django! They're ripping off Django!" Yeah, and that's hardcore. Like, bitch, please, this is only like Django two hundred and fifty. Right, right. It, well, and, and you know what pisses me off about. The only thing that pisses me off about, like, Django Unchained is the fact is that, you know, when you look for something and you put Django in there, you know, that's what you get. Now, it used to be when you search for Django online, you got Django. Now you get Django Unchained and you got to sort through all the other crap, you know what I'm saying? That's the only thing to kind of, and that's what's going to happen with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hollywood. You know, you're going to start, you know, same thing again, so... When it comes to the searches on Amazon or eBay or, you know, Google or whatever. I so, think the only one is that I need to get one fun time in America, damn it, then I'm done. Cause I have, I have seen the film, and I, but I don't, own, I don't own a copy of it. What? Once Upon a Time in America. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, I need to get that because I do love that film. It is a great film. 
It is a great, great but film. Duck, you sucker. You can tell Leone didn't want to be there. Yeah, Rod Steiger just destroyed. I mean, he eats that fucking, he eats that um, scenery up like it's going out of style. Whew. To me, he's just it's way, like too, way too over the top. Uh, Coburn in two different movies all together. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to Coburn's watch the one good. with James Coburn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's good at it, Colburn. But yeah. yeah, that that Steiger is just destroyed. I mean, he's eating. I mean, I and then you know that's yeah. But anyway, you know, and and you like his, I, he didn't want. He was done with westerns. I don't think he wanted to be in. You know, you know, he wanted to supervise. Yeah, that's why and do he some, directed uh, the Ghost movies, which I've only seen one that's really proven that's his. And oh right, my name I, is nobody. Did, yeah, and he did direct the um, the dinner scene in a cemetery without crosses. You know, just yeah. just the dinner scene, and you know, but yeah, I think he was he wanted to get away from the westerns, but he was, you know, he was stereotyped. He was done. You know, so there were you know, yeah. and and it's like I've said in what we talked about in past shows is the fact is, you you know, once he made um, and, and you know. Somehow or another, you know, he was afforded a certain amount of money to be able to get an actor like Clint Eastwood. I think it was like ten grand or something for a fistful of dollars. Yeah. But you, you know, most of these, they would just have a dude. You know, they would find a dude like you know, there's Richard Harrison over there, who was uh, you know, was in the Sword and Sandal films, or or, or yeah. Mark Damon went over there, or you know, some of these other actors. It's just like a lot of them had went over there. You know, even prior to, because they were getting into some of the sand and sword films, so the fact that he was able to actually get Clint Eastwood, it's, I mean, they must have had, well, even Eastwood though they said they had no belief His in that film. The thing is that he was Rowdy Yates in uh, Wagon Train at right. the time. That was his biggest thing. Yeah, but and I think they had released some of those over, like, you know, how they would take so many episodes and make them into a movie. Yeah. You know, and I think they had released them over there. But but, but the fact that, you know, they had, and, you know, I think his father was invo- involved in the industry, Leone's, and, I mean, they put a lot of credit into a guy that, you know, he had only directed one film, you know, the, um, the Marathon of Roads, I think it's called, if I'm not wrong, but. But yeah. you know the Colossus fact that they actually of Colossus of Rhodes. There you go. And that was so, one but, of the things that Leone saved their ass because I forget who directed it first, but he just walked off the set. Right. And they were sitting around. Oh shit! Who can uh, direct this movie without having not seen the script? And everything. Da, da, da. And Leone's like, "I'll do it until you find someone else." Mm-hmm. And then they seen the dailies, and they're like, "You're staying." <laughs> right, and and you know it's, it, and you know he took so he took so much from, you know he was surrounded by good people, you know he stole a lot from Yojimbo, you, you know even some of the facial mannerisms or not facial, some of the mannerisms of um, Clint Eastwood, you know the way he kind of held his, you know I mean if you look he took a lot from that film. I mean, a lot, you, you know, so. It, well, we said it before, if it wasn't for uh, 
Yojimbo, uh, Zatoichi, and the Samurai films like that. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have had the prototype Spaghetti Western hero. That's a fact. That is a fact because he, they took a lot from him. Yeah, I think Clint Eastwood brought, you know, supposedly when he brought it, when he came in, he cut the dialogue. You know, he said there was too much talking. You know, the Western heroes weren't supposed to talk. You know, they, yeah. you know, like uh, Gregory Peck and the gunfighter, or gunfighter and um, not gunfighter and, or yeah, Gregory Peck. You know, uh, John Wayne and the Searchers, they just didn't do a lot of, you know, sitting around talking. And that's the yeah. same thing that Lee Van Cleef said, and and for a few dollars more, that, you know, he, same thing. You know, you know, he had these big, huge scripts, and, you know, there was just too much talking going on in them. You know, so I think that there was some things, obviously, Leone brought style and stuff, and and, you know, but they took a lot from, you know, Kurosawa and, you know, and obviously the American westerns, <clears throat> and Clint Eastwood yeah. brought and some plus stuff the in. But films took a lot of things from John Ford, and right, right, yeah, and, and, and it was the same. Yeah, it was constantly people borrowing this and borrowing that, and you know, I mean, so. But you can't understate that at its peak, Gino Chita was one of the most, if not the most, beautiful movie-making machine to ever exist, Mm -hmm. you would have A-list set builders, A-list cameramen. I mean, just think, you're at a time where you're like, oh, my cameraman, he isn't here yet. Hey, Mario Baza, hey, Sergio Leone, could you come do some shots for me? Sure. Right. Uh, I'm in between scenes, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's um, you know they had tech, you know, wonderful technicians and and crew and cast and stuff like that, and you know they were hungry to work, you, you know, and that's the thing about it. It wasn't they weren't tied down with the unions and like we are here. I know there was probably actors unions and stuff like that, but oh they yeah, were there was the union because like, they'd stop halfway through the day as all of the American. Actors that said astonishingly, especially John Saxon, where they had stopped half a day for lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a lot of them, the, the directors were just, you know, it was leisure. And all, But a lot of actors didn't. You know, James Garner hated it. You know, he hated the way, you know, how lax it was. And But yeah. a lot of actors didn't like that, you know. I mean, they're expected, you know, they expect this, 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 this. And everything was so union-controlled. You know, in the United States, that when they got over there, it was a hell of a lot more lax. And some of them enjoyed, loved it. You know, Lee Van Cleef ate it up over there. and over, But yeah, over here, it was different. The story I heard was John Saxon. He said, by that time, and I left Italy to come back to the U.S., he said he was uh, out enjoying some great Italian wine with this great Italian view in his great Italian apartment. And his friend looked at him, he said, this is the time. He's like, what do you mean? If you don't leave Italy now, you're staying here forever. Mm-hmm. And some, well, you know, with the the police films, you know, he built it. I think he was only, he was in two, he was in I Came, I Saw, I Shot, which was, I think, Castellari, but 
mm-hmm. I think. The comedy, maybe 68, but, you know, yeah. it was a comedy. The dude should have had a chance, you know, to play, you know, a, a cowboy, kind of like, or, or even he could have been good like he was in Joe Kidd, which I thought he did a great job yeah. as the Mexican. Well, don't forget the sin. His uh, last uh, Italian Polizia, I think, was uh, the Cynic, the Rat, and the Fist. The mm-hmm. sequel to the tough ones that's just out on blue right now, which you need to get and see if you love action right. movies. Right. And um, I know he did, you know, quasi spaghetti western and called Jonathan of the Bears, which is with yeah. Franco Nero and David Hess, and it's, you know, it works part <laughs> of the time, and the rather part of the yeah. time it's pretty hokey. You know, I think, but, but I think that might have been. Please? You filmed your, you just filmed your spaghetti western there, and they're like, "Oh, just get one of our studio guys to do one of their usual studio western scores for you." And you're walking <laughs> there, depressed, and you walk in, and guess who you see? You see Ennio Morricone. You see Ritz Portolani. You see just some of the best damn musicians in Italy. Yeah, yeah, you know. And it's, They're like, oh, we're just going to crank out one of our usual specials, and you're just sitting there like tears coming down your eyes like, oh, my God. But, you know, it's, you know, Morricone, if you listen to some of his earlier scores, like on Bulletstone, I think he did Bulletstone Argue and Bullets of the yeah. Flesh, Bullets in the Flesh with Rod Cameron. I don't know if he did both or the one, but. You know, I was listening to the one, and it was, you know, until he came hooked up with Leone, and Leone kind of broadened his horizons a little bit, and you know, wanted more, you know, sounds, and 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 I think he, to a point, helped create more Oni, but you know, it's um, the soundtracks to me, you know, is is they're right up there with, you know, they're. A lot of bad films have great soundtracks on them, and and some of them just oh, God, blow me yeah. away at how great they are. You know the. Um, I yeah, mean, I'll just, look at what one best score in America, and then I'll look at some of my favorite spaghetti westerns. At the same time, oof. I'm like, spaghetti yeah. western should have won. <laughs> you know. Yes. 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 I mean, it's a shame that Morricone and uh, Ritz Ortolani are really the only Italian composers to win Oscars. Yeah. And even then they had to basically rig it so Morricone could win for the Hateful Eight. Right, right. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's, but you know, as neglected as the films are, at least the soundtracks do have a reasonable fan base you know because yeah. a lot of people do love the scores to these films <clears throat> so but yeah. y- and his book and if you enjoyed this his book is going to be just as good and it's probably going to be one of the best casual reading books about spaghetti westerns ever and that's just from <laughs> talking to him for over a freaking year uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, to me, I started this journey back in 1981, 
you know, and and that in 1981, my brother took me to a um, to see a movie in Springfield or Springdale, Ohio, mm-hmm. and it was called Coming at You, and it was the 3D film with Tony Anthony. Now, it's not a very good film, but you know that seed was planted right then. Like you know, I I like this type of you know the violence, you know the the you know, the stylized violence, you know, the kind of operatic type of thing. It had a great score in it. And when I walked out of there that day, you know, my brother worked at the Cincinnati Enquirer, which was our, was our, well, it's still our local newspaper, but he worked as a, in the mailroom. So, you know, he came across, uh, you know, an article in it, and he brought it to me, you know, and when he came next time I seen him, and he brought it to me, and he said, check this out. So, you know, and it was an article on Tony Anthony that they had written about, you know, he had developed something, you know, he had developed a 3D lens, I believe. And obviously, from what I have heard through the years, that might have been Michael Finley's design, but he had used it, you know, for this film. And I think also. Yeah, for the Four Crowns also, but. you know, and, and I'd read on there, you know, about his career in Italy, and and obviously also he was connected. Tony Anthony was collect, connected to uh, Alan Klein, who was the Beatles' last manager, I believe, before they broke up. And so, you, you know, it it gave me that, you know, that little seed that was planted in my brain, like, well, you know, I'd like to see some more of his films, even though I was. You know, to me, it, I didn't really know all, you know, I was I was freaking 17, 18 years old, you know, I'm thinking. Oh, they're goofy, but they're fun. And yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about freaking, you know, spaghetti westerns at that time in my life. Yeah. I had heard, that, you know, but there wasn't a lot of information out there, but I had read that article, and, um, and it was well, planned. Well, I've seen uh, Four Crowns, and Coming At You was kind of a hard movie to get on VHS. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know it causes that eye strain. You know it destroys yeah. your eyes when you try to watch it now. It's like, phew. but That's you know at the time it was 3D. Yes, I, I don't. Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Yes, are 3D. If you get to see them projected properly, but yeah. if you don't, they're crap. Yeah, and, and you know, and I and I seen that one that the. the Friday the 13th 3D, and I seen uh, who was, was the other 3D one? The um, shit, I cannot remember what the name of it is now. But hell, I still got the glasses the from both of them here. But I did throw the coming at the glasses away for some dumb reason or another. But yeah, but I've oh, I've seen got the, the Rhino DVD of coming at you that has the coming at you 3D glasses. Yeah, I've got them. Yeah, do they say coming at you on the side? Yeah. Or them, were them only through the theaters? Cause, uh, no, Rhino a, actually did it pretty decent. It's bare bones, but it does have that. Yeah, it's nice. It actually yeah, has I've a trailer, done. too. The only trailer I've ever seen. See a baby's butt poop at you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it's, you know, on the book, it was, you know, it's something that, you know, no matter what, 
you know, if people love it, people don't love it, or they buy it, they don't buy it. You know, it's like that bucket list thing. I had to do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I had to do it because it's, I've got all this shit in my brain, you know, from all these years of being compulsive about this. Yeah. And, and you know, I have written before, like we had said at the beginning of the show, but, you know, eventually this stuff has to come out. You know, you yeah. have your avenue right here where you talk about, you know, from A to Z of everything. To me, it's I'm limited, you know. It's, you well, know, you, you with shawls. Yeah. Or, or Japanese or Italian westerns. I mean, that's well, I'm pretty much me. You can't love spaghetti westerns if you don't <clears throat> love Samurai or the Shaw Brothers films. That gets a very good point. <clears throat> that's a very good point. Because and, and, I you would know, stand uh, uh, the one-armed swordsman, uh, Clint Eastwood's character, and Yojimbo next to each other because they're just like brothers. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, you know, it's, to me, and, you know, another thing I found, too, was, you know, I, I watched Hollywood Westerns, you know, and I watched them growing up, and I watched them for years and years, and there was probably eventually a time where I kind of disconnected from them just because, you know, they were lacking, you know, the grit, the grime, the violence, yeah. you know, but eventually... You know, if you can't love them, then, you know, to a point you can't love Spaghetti Westerns because, and you, you know, to me, the history of the Spaghetti Westerns starts with the Hollywood Western, obviously. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's so much lifted, you, you know, from the, the Italians love these, you know, the Westerns and the Spanish love these Westerns and they would, you know, and there was so much taken and lifted from these films and used in all these other, in their films that, you know, for... You know, to think, well, there wasn't, you know, they just kind of invented the shit out of the air. You know, that's incorrect. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, you know, in well, these Well, for films. me, my dad was a big John Wayne guy, but mm -hmm. the movie that he was crazy about and he had me watch when I was like five or six and I fell in love with it was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Right. And I was like, damn, this Leone guy is good. <laughs> And I just passed on. And then there was this book I got in high school called The 50 Greatest Westerns of All Time. If you can find it cheap, get it. Because mm -hmm. it was the first one to deal with not only the odors, but it dealt with Bud Botliker's films. It dealt with the spaghetti westerns and things like that. So I learned about, uh, for a few dollars more, and... Fistful of dollars. I'm like, there's more. Right. Cool. And, and that's and and that's why and that to me that was when I talked about the, the finding of the Tony Anthony thing. Yeah, I knew that you know the the Leone films were out there. Yeah. You know, I knew that growing up. I watched them on TV off you know often, but I didn't know how big and how wide it was until I started that first day in 1981, and, and I started to look and dig and dig and dig as the years went on, you yeah. know, and I'm like a, a million other people, you know, is I eventually, you know, started buying shit off the gray market, and, and yeah. that started this whole thing, you know, so, you know, and here I sit, you know, almost 40 yeah. years later, well, still... 
continue my story. I mean, I learned to love in 1980, well, you know, 80s kid. I love me some mm-hmm. Charles Bronson. So I right. go to the video store and I would see, ooh, Charles Bronson movies, Cold Sweat, uh, Violent City. Ooh, here's this one of Charles Bronson at his toughest, which the box read. And it had him with this girl, hand around a girl, throwing a gun to his head. I'm like, damn, he must be a badass in this movie. <laughs> you know what film I'm talking about just from describing the poster, right? Uh, probably Rider not. Rider on the Rain. Rider on the Rain, you're right. A movie right, um, that is too, it's out on Blu-ray now from Kino Lober, and I beg you, I beg you to get this movie. It is freaking amazing it is damn good i didn't um did wild east release that yeah Put they were DVD? the first one to release it over here okay yeah now, now that's the one i know that's that's the one i've got is is um wild east and you're right it's an excellent film and it is on blu-ray yeah. now and, at and least it's kino so it's discovery it was like one day i was in a video store and i was looking for something to watch and i'm like Hey, I like Charles Bronson. My dad and I like Henry Fonda. Ooh, it's this Leone guy. Mm. I'll rent this movie. It has two tapes. It must be good. <laughs> and then I went home and got my mind fried that night by by Once Upon a Time in the West. Right. And from then there was no going back. Right. Right, and, and you know it's to to me when I was searching out these and and, and you know I've I, I'm a, I'm a, I've been obsessed with these things forever. So you know when the mom and pop stores were going out of business, or when I was frequenting these VHS places that sold used VHS, you know I'd go peek through the you know the 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 horror films, but you know. I always ended up with, the, you know, looking, digging through all the Westerns. So when I dig through the 900 John Waynes, you know, I would try to find an Italian Western. Now, they were hard to come by. You, oh, you know, God, you'd yeah. find one Let's here. You'd find looking one. for. Yeah, you know, like Kioma, it was released under here under the title Des- the Desperado. You know, a minute to pray a second. Yeah, a minute to pray a second. Yeah, I mean, so it, it's. Yeah, I mean, eventually it came out as Kioma with through yeah. Sagebrush, but the first time I had seen it was on um, what's on the uh, under that title, Desperado. Yeah, or God came to comes, or God said to Cain came out over here as Cain's cutthroats, and all you seen when you looked was the cover of uh, John Carradine looking at a noose. <laughs> Yeah, so there's you know it's there's a lot of them that you know you would be even the most and there wasn't a lot of avenues to you didn't know what the shit you were getting you know if I, I mean you just hope for the best you know and you'd stumble across some where like some of the um, unicorn released a lot on or, yeah. you know on VHS and and you'd find them here and there and then you'd also find some other crap and you know you'd find like you know some of the 
Van Cleef movies like God's Gun and stuff like that four million times, and you're like, man, don't I, I, that I don't even want one copy of that, let alone. You know, the Hellbenders was quite a, was really it was quite like a bit. Wow! Every time I bought a spaghetti western box set on DVD, it had God's gun on it. Yes. <laughs> yes. It wasn't yes. until the 90s that we started getting, and this comes back to Tim Paxton. Guys like Tim Paxton, uh, Psychotronic, uh, uh, Italian Trash Cinema. Uh, video Watchdog. Well, and you got, remember, you had Tom Betts's Western All Italiana, too. Yeah. It's, um, or, um, whatever, or not, I forget what it was. It was a, uh, little magazine. Yeah, or the Encyclopedia of Westerns. Right, right. But, yeah. Right. And I think that your book will rank up in there. Because you do know that much. And if you only put, like, even just a third of what you know on there, damn. I mean, I put I put probably a, a one one-hundredth of what I, what I know on there, believe me. So it's, you know, there's yeah. a lot more to come in days to come, you know, or in years to come. You know, my goal is to do, you know, one and then just get to let my head, you know, out of it for a while and then, you know, maybe start looking back in another. You know, in a couple months, and yeah. I'd like to do another one sometime around Christmas. I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah, but. forget the pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, you, you know that's uh, my goal. Stephen King said it the best. Someone asked me, he said, "Why does it usually take a year to two years between books for all writers?" He said, "Oh, that's how long they." takes you to forget how much of a horrible experience it is putting the book together. Oof. And, you know, he's writing, you know, he's writing, but you know how he is. He's writing yeah. fucking, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of words probably. You yeah. know, so, you know, but I, I'm not going to say it was the easiest experience I'd ever done. I mean, it was definitely had its rough moments and you know, there was an early draft that I lost, and it was—it was, you know, it was—I was—I was saved through Word, but you know, when I tried to upload it to Amazon, some crap happened, and it got stuck in there, and it's still in there. But I'm like, you know, something—I'm just gonna, you know, because I was taking stuff from other Word programs and putting it in there. I was like, I'm walking away from it. I'm gonna start you know, that's from scratch thing. again. Every time that I lost an article, and I lost a couple of them. They've always turned out better than when I started. Fact, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about Word now is that it auto saves it, so it's not as you know, it's constantly auto saving it for you. It ain't like the old days where you'd work on it and, and you, maybe your computer would die and you'd be like, oh shit, <laughs> you know. So, but it yeah. does auto save it now, so that's good. Because there used to be some scary times with that back in the old days, you know, and we've all lost them. But, yeah. You know, Matt Craney did a cartoon, His Life in Hell, and it said, An author's worst fear. And it just showed, like, his character sitting there going, Did I remember to save? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is. That is. And, that, and, that, and I think that's gone now. You, you know, I think that. Nowadays, that it's you know that 
with this new word, the way it works, and I'd say probably the majority of people use Word, I guess. I don't probably not yeah. the people that use Mac and Apple and stuff like that, but but you know the people that do use Word, they all they know that feeling, or they did know that feeling. Well, they may not know yeah. it now because well, the word you know, programs sure. nowadays realize that us writers will write until we have smoke coming out our ears, <laughs> and saving the project is the least thing on our mind. <laughs> you know the. The writing is never an issue. Well, it is an issue. I, I got, let me go back here. Writing yeah. sometimes can be one hell of a chore. But when it comes to that editing crap, now that that's a different animal altogether. Yeah, you know, that's, that's why when, I'm glad that I'm a writer and Tony has to deal with the editing. <laughs> See, that's that's kind of what, you know, I've always had that editor. I've always had that person to go through, double trap, triple check, look again, look again, look again. Now, this one, I'm just out there. So it's, and believe me, I've read these things over a million times, but you know you're always going to miss something. But the thing about it is. Tony call it jokingly. I have to translate from Southern to editor. (laughs) Tony. Right, right. Yeah, it's, when you it's, say the word y'all, is it a contraction? Is it a <laughs> is it a contraction? <laughs> well, thank you for being on uh, this Friday. Now to wrap it up, this Friday we're going to be doing uh, Jason's last movies, <laughs> which means we're going to be doing Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. And Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, which they weren't. But that's what we'll be having there set up for you to listen to. And next Sunday is going to be about the Spanish Horror Night at the Drive-In Weekend at the Drive-In Monsterama with Carl the Kafer and Eric Eric Omlin being here, too, along with the usual guys. Wow. And there you go. I'm going to be busy from now on because i got big plans for Halloween. Oh, Lord, if this comes off great, it's going to be fun. <laughs> and as always, thank you guys for listening, and thank you for being on, Mike. Thank you very much. Thanks for promoting my book out there, and it will be. You can check your page. We'll post when it comes out. We'll, we'll put a post yeah, on your page, whoever's listening. Yep. So it should be out in the next day or two, so hopefully everybody grabs a copy. Thank you, Stephen. And good night, and thank you all for listening. Good night. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.